Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. All right. Praise the Lord. Exciting one more time to be with us. Uh, we continue with our study on John 14. And my father saw so many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And this is what we're looking at. And this is supposedly, uh, I believe to mean uh, Jesus speaking to his disciples and promising believers that he was going to come take them up to heaven and give them buildings at the end of the day which supposedly have been on for the past 2000 years and he hasn't finished uh, perhaps there's a reason why he hasn't been able to finish either he's unable to do that or we are not prepared for him to come pick us up to go have our buildings up in the sky anyway this is going to be rapture 6 John 14 last day predictions and this is part number 11 on this course of study so we're going to uh, examine the aspect of receiving us to himself and then we're talking about where he is there shall we be also so we're going to look at these two aspects which supposedly going to be the last thing we want to deal with on this particular broadcast then we'll go to something else now uh, in John 14 3 again the Bible says if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. We are dealing with the aspect of receiving unto myself. In receiving us to himself, we become the bride of Christ. That's the first thing I want you to pick up. And I'm going to make you see scriptures in relation to that. First of all, it's very important to know that just as Moses built the habitation for God in Exodus 19, even so, Jesus built a habitation for God through the Spirit. It's important we get this part. Hallelujah. In Exodus 15, Moses built a habitation for God. And what that means is, is building the church where God will reside with his people. And so in Ephesians 2, 20 to 23, we also find that Jesus built the church through the Holy Spirit after resurrection for the habitation of God through the Spirit. Is that okay? Right. Now, God speaking to Moses in Exodus 19, verse, verse 4 says, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. I want you to look at that statement. You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. To bring you is also to receive. So it's like saying, I receive you to myself. After I bow you on eagle's wings. You listen closely to that. Now, this is God's redemptive work in favor of the children of Israel. When they were in captivity in Egypt. God spoke to Abraham that his seed would be slave for 400 years. But that he would redeem them. You remember that? Acts 7, 67. Bible said, the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, saith God. And after that shall they come forth and serve me in this place. Amen. Your children are going to be bonded for 400 years, but after that I will judge that nation. So here we see a restoration to fellowship with God after a broken relationship as slaves. At all the point that people were I mean, slaves in, in, in Egypt, they were like, but they were in bondage, which like bondage to sin. Is that okay? Now, at that particular time, they similarly were not having a relationship with God. 
They were not unable to serve God the way they were supposed to serve Him or to worship Him. Amen. So, the same thing we found that Adam broke relationship with God and we being the children of Adam, Christ came to restore our relationship with God. Without a father and a son, a husband and wife relationship, He came to restore that back to us. Thereby setting us free from sin. This is what God meant when He said to receive us unto Himself. Now, I want you to understand something. It's not talking of receiving us to a location. I will emphasize that. It's not receiving us to a location. It's not receiving us to a building. It's receiving us to Himself. And I will explain more what that really stands for. Now, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, first of all, in Exodus 3, verse 7 to 8, God told Moses, I've surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I'm come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land. Exodus 3, 7 to 8. I've seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I'm come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land. To bring up doesn't mean to take up into the sky, but to get them out of Egypt. Is that okay? Now, in Exodus 4.34, Scripture said, Moses in turn now said this to the children of Israel in Exodus 4.34. God has, has said to go and take him a nation from the midst of another nation by temptations, by signs, and by wonders, and by a stretched out arm, and by great terrors, According to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Amen. So Moses is reminding the children of Israel what he did in bringing them out of the captivity that they were in Egypt. This, the, the realm of bondage that they were. And, and here he says he did all of those things. Such as the temptations by by signs, by wonders, and by stretch at hand, by great terrors. Uh, the method by which he brought them out were through this miraculous signs and wonder that he performed in Egypt. Now, these miracles that God used in Egypt, the terrors, the walls, etc., to deliver his people, were the invisible manifestations of God's presence through a vessel this time now, Moses. In Egypt. Just like he told Moses in Exodus 3 verse 8. I am God himself. Come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. I am come to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Now, God never physically came to Egypt. But rather, he came through a vessel. And that vessel was Moses. Are you getting that? Praise the Lord. So, we see here that God did not physically come down to Egypt. Rather, He empowered Moses, a chosen vessel, for the hour with the Holy Ghost to do this. In other words, He empowered Moses to go to Egypt to do that. And you say, the Holy Ghost, yes, you watch this. The magicians themselves confess to this fact. If you look at Exodus 8 verse 19, when Moses started performing the miracles, their confession was, this is the finger of God. Amen? So what is the finger of God? I want you to get it. In Luke 11 verse 20, Jesus was speaking about the power of the Holy Spirit, by which he cast the devils. What did he say? He said, if I cast out the devils, in other words, he was using the power of the Holy Spirit to cast out devils. When you look at that Luke chapter, very quickly, let's look at that Luke chapter 11, verse number 20. Uh, actually, he did this, and they were saying he was using the spirit of Bezebel. But let's just quickly look at um, Luke now. Very quickly, Luke chapter... 11 and look at verse 20 
And this is what he says. Luke 11, verse number 20. Hallelujah. And he said, But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is coming to you. If I, with the finger of God. Now, the Egyptian Exodus 8, 19 says, This must be the finger of God. Now, Jesus is saying, If I cast out devils with the finger of God, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. So this is also what was referred to our time, Eagle's Wind, in Exodus 19 verse 4. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit. Is that okay? Hallelujah. So we found that Moses was walking through the power of the Spirit of God right there in Egypt and performing the signs of wonders. Like I said, that is what is referred to as the Eagle's Wind in the case of Exodus um, Exodus chapter 19 and verse number 4. It refers to Now you can compare that to the book of uh, Isaiah. Let, let's quickly look at Isaiah chapter 40. What did it say there in Isaiah 40? I'm trying to make us see that this finger of God is something of the Holy Spirit. The wings of the eagle is something of the Holy Spirit. So, Isaiah 40, if you look at verse 31, it says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Can you see that? These wings of eagles speaks of the power of the Holy Spirit. Is that okay? Praise the Lord. So, what is the reality of the eagle's wing? I mean, as it relates to us. In Acts chapter 2, verse number 22, Peter, speaking on the day of Pentecost, said this, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. Praise the Lord. By miracles and wonders and signs, a man approved of God. Amen. Same thing that happened to Moses. Moses was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do signs and wonders because he was to build a church for God. Put the church in the wilderness for his habitation. Now Jesus is to build a church for God in the New Testament. And it has to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can you see the connection? Right. So, just as Moses brought out Israel from Egypt through signs and wonders, so also was Christ anointed to deliver mankind out of the bondage of sin through signs and wonders. Is it making sense to you? Okay. Now, in Exodus 12, Remember when Israel was to come out They had to kill the lamb Is that okay? Yeah, the lamb was killed in Egypt For their redemption In Exodus 12 Even so in 1 Corinthians 5 and 17 The Bible made us understand Christ is our Passover lamb And have a sacrifice for us In John 1.29 John said The lamb of God That taketh away the sin of the world So in Egypt Exodus 12 the lamb was slain. For us to be redeemed from the power of sin, the lamb was slain. Are you seeing the connection? Right. So 1 Corinthians 5 clearly states that Christ is our Passover lamb. Amen? Good. So, this Passover experience is followed by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost to empower His body, which is now the redeemed ones, to go forth again with signs and wonders for the continuation of that which he cried began both to do and teach. If you look at Acts chapter 1 verse 1. He said of the thing that Jesus began both to do and teach. Now if you take time to study Acts. The last part. I mean the last passage in the book of Acts. That's the last chapter. There is no amen to it. Is that okay? There is no amen to it. But other books when you read. You are going to see amen, amen, amen. Now why is it that you don't have an Amen. In the book of Acts At the last chapter It's simply because a continuous book It is not a book actually Of the act of the apostles It's a book of the act of the Holy Spirit Through the apostles It's just like Jesus Was walking through the Holy Spirit Moses was walking through the Holy Spirit The apostles themselves Were used and walked by the Holy Spirit Is that okay? They did all the signs and wonders By the power of the Holy Spirit So it's the act of the Holy Spirit, but through the apostles. Now, there's a continuation because the Holy Spirit has moved 
if I may use the word, permit me to use that, from the early apostles down to us today. So whatever sense of wonders we are using, I mean we are doing, as a matter of fact, is still in the book of Acts. Because there is no end to it, because the Holy Spirit does not come to an end. Praise God. Uh, you're listening. Alright. Now, where is Jesus taking us to? Because he said, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Where is he taking us to? Christ is receiving us unto himself. Don't forget this fact. Christ is a person and not unto a geographical location. He's receiving unto himself. When God received the children of Israel to himself, it was not upstairs. They were not taken up into the sky. But he received them to himself as a bride, as a wife. He got united with them. That's what he meant by receiving them unto himself. Amen? Right. Now, it is to the person of Christ that the church is being received. I will receive you unto myself. Just know it. Not up in the sky. The word receive in the Greek here is para, from the root word. Para. It means near, from beside, with, up, in, and then lambano, two words, to take in very many applications or act to get hold of. These two words joined together is paralambano. It means to receive near, that is associate with oneself in any familiar, intimate art or relationship. Now, watch this. When you get married, when a man is getting married, you know what happened. The woman joins the hands together with the man. The man takes the woman to his side. That is what the word paralambano really means. So here is Jesus taking the church to himself as the bride. Ish. Hallelujah. Can you get that? He's taking the church to himself as a bride. That's what they mean by paralambano. I will receive you unto myself, not unto a location, but I'm taking you to myself as the bride. Oh, glory. Are you listening to this? So, what is that supposed to mean? Simply that Christ is taking us unto himself as a bride from this present evil world through the atoning blood. So, when you look at Galatians 1 verse 4, we talk about who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil world. You can also look at 1 Peter 2 verse 24 and 1 Timothy 2 verse number 6. Amen. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil world. Uh, so it, it's, it's like, just like Israel was delivered from Egypt, even so, Christ deliverance us from this present evil world. So, first question I'm going to ask is, what is wrong with the world? Actually, the world also means age in the true sense. Deliver us from the present age. So, first of all, he meant the Jews and their system of carnal ordinances. And judgment at which they could not live. You know, if you look at Ezekiel 20 verse 25, it tells you that. All of the judgment, what I mean is, all of the miracles, I mean, sorry, the laws that were given to them, which they could not keep. Right? Is delivering us from all of that. First of all, I was speaking to the Jews, so that you may understand. Because here you find that the Jews were coming to, no, no, the Judaizers were entering the, the Galatian church. You know, that's why Paul will say, Well, bewitched you. Have you begun in the spirit and ended with the flesh? Because the Judaizers came in there and they wanted to corrupt the pure worship of the spirit that was in that church. Amen. If you look at Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 25, and it says, Wherefore I gave them also statutes that were not good, and judgment whereby they should not live. You couldn't live by those things, right? Okay, now if you go to the book of Acts, chapter 15, and this is what you're going to see. Acts 15, verse number 10. Praise the Lord. I hope you're following. Acts 15, verse number 10. Let's quickly look at that, and then you see what it says here. Hallelujah. Okay, Acts 15, verse number 10. Um, here is what the scripture says. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples? 
which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. Our fathers nor we were able to bear. Can you get that? Right. So, here is what we're talking about. The first thing is God delivers us from the bondage of the law, from the bondage of the system of man, and not traditions that are contrary to the perfect will and the flow of God's spirit. Hallelujah. Then the second thing that God is delivering him from in this present evil world, it has to do with the unredeemed man. You must understand that Ephesians 2 verse 2 talks about God delivering us first of all. It made us to understand. I think I need to read that again to your hearing. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 2. And that's what it said. Read for verse 1 anyway. And ye had a quickened, admit to be alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in, in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the earth, the spirit that now walk and the children of disobedience, the course of this world, the pattern of life that men are living in. So we have these two realms by which God is delivering us from. From the religious bondage, just as well with the religious people of the Jews, and the very course of this world that this, the, the spirit of disobedience is at work in. So you also look at that in Second Corinthians 4 verse 4. talks about if our gospel is hidden, it's hidden to those who the God of this world blinded their mind. Is that okay? Alright. Praise the Lord. And then we look at John 30, I mean 12 verse 31 talks about the judgment of the prince of this world. Which has to do with satanic spirit working in the heart of man. So here when the Bible tells us in the book of Galatians chapter 1 verse number 4 that is delivering us from the present cause, I mean delivering from this present evil world or age, we have to understand it in these two perspectives. One is from religious bondage. Number two is from the spirit of the power of the air the spirit that walk in the chain of disobedience. Praise the Lord. Therefore, the redeemed are moved from this age, or the age of the Lord, if you will, and this age where the prince of the power of the air is at work into the kingdom age, or the spirit, I mean, the, the, the kingdom of his dear son, if you will. Alright. So now, the kingdom of God, which is the kingdom of his dear son, doesn't mean a future millennial reign. It's important we understand that. Maybe I'll touch on the millennium as time goes on. But it's not talking about the millennial reign. But rather a transition from the age in which we are in now, as it's under the influence of the wrong spirit. So, any spirit-free son of God have been brought to this place. What place now? The kingdom of God. Hence we read, I pray that you be, now if you look at uh, 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 Colossians 1 verse number 12 and 13, from the Central English Version, this is what it says. I pray that you will be grateful to God for letting you have part, a place, in what He has promised His people in the kingdom of light. God rescued us from the dark powers of Satan and brought us into the kingdom of His dear Son, who forgives our sin and sets us free. Hallelujah. Colossians 1 to, I mean 12 to, to 13, Central English Version. Did you get that? Right. He brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. So, just like Moses delivered Israel from Egypt, God is delivering us from one realm of power to another realm. Amen. And this is not when you die. This is not when, when he comes back again, in quote. This is not the millennial reign. It is right now. And you've got to understand something. The Bible tells us the increase of his government, there shall be no end. So it began right from the day of Pentecost, if you will, because that's a part of the Holy Spirit. If you take time to read in the book of Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, it said, If I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. And if you look at Romans chapter 14, verse 17, it tells us precisely again, the kingdom of God is not about what you have, not meat and drink, not religion of the Jews, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen? Romans 14, 17. Praise the living God. Are you getting that? So, the kingdom is not coming tomorrow. The kingdom is right here. Now, what, what is expected is there's going to be an increase of this kingdom. For the increase of this government, there shall be no end. Praise the Lord. So, we see then that the work had been accomplished through the blood of Jesus. And also the kingdom which is a people washed in the blood, 
of the Lamb is well and alive on earth today. The Holy Spirit is the principal factor of the kingdom. Right here, right now. That's what we just seen in Roman, I mean, Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. If I cast out devils with the kingdom of God, may the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. Hallelujah. So, as he redeems us with his blood, and what he sought with the world, like you find in the book of John 17, verse 17, he said, Sanctify and true that truth, thy world is truth. Is that okay? John 17, verse 17. Now, as he's redeeming us with his blood and watching over the world, he's taking a people to himself from amongst the rest of mankind. He's recreating a new people, a new generation of people washed in the blood and sanctified by the word. Praise the living God. So it's not a tomorrow thing. So when he says he's taking us to himself, he's talking about bringing us to a place of absolute relationship with him as that of a husband and a wife. Praise the living God. This is what he's doing. Amen. Now, I've been received by God. It's wrapped up in God's fervent love for the church. You see, if you take time to read Ephesians chapter 5 from 25 to 27. Let me just kind of abbreviate it for you. God still loved the church and he gave himself a turning blood for it. That... He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Hallelujah. But that it should be holy and without blemish. Ephesians 5, 26-27. Praise the Lord. Ephesians 5, 26-27. Did you get that? Take it again. Christ so loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but he should be holy and without blemish. Now, I want you to notice these words. The word present is very vital. It is paristano in the Greek. Put me to stand beside. Eg to exhibit. To prefer. Specifically to recommend. To be at hand already. Notice that. To stand beside. Same thing I try to explain to you. About paralambano. To stand beside. It's like a husband standing beside the wife. Or the wife standing beside the husband. So he's taking you to yourself. To present you to himself. Or the church himself is to make the church ready to be that of a wife fit for Jesus Christ. So when he says, I come to receive you unto myself, he's talking about presenting us as a church to himself as his bride. Praise the living God. Alright. Now, this word, paristano, it is the same thing like I said before, the same idea of paralambano. Which means to take to one side as a bride. These two words, Palestino and Paralambano, accurately gave us the mind of Christ for his church. When the job of cleansing is totally done on her, the church by her husband, that is, totally done, cleansed the church by her husband, which is Christ, she will be then exhibited by him for the world to see. What I mean is, there have to be a revelation of this full mature church for the world to see. And this is directly connected to what you find in Revelation 21, I mean 2, 21, verse 2 and verse 9. Right? She was prepared as a bride out of her husband. Revelation 21, 2 and verse 9. Descended from out of heaven. This is the full manifestation of the sons of God. Talked about in Romans chapter 8, verse number 9. When it says creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. The atonement, I mean the adornment, which is the glory of God now, is the glory of the husband Christ, which she has taken upon herself. Praise the Lord. Again, you need to read Revelation 21, and verse number 11. The scripture tells us that the church, which is the bride coming down of heaven, was adored of her husband. So what we're trying to say is, the glory of the husband was now upon the wife, which is the church. Okay, so, in receiving us to himself, 
Christ is taking a bride for himself from amongst men. He's taking a nation from the nations. A single family under heaven with the name of the, the nature of the Father written on their forehead. Like you find in Revelation 14 verse 1. Bible talks about the 144,000 having the mind and the wisdom of God. And no longer the nature and the wisdom of Adam that is utterly and satanic. But it's receiving the name of the Father on their forehead. Forehead speaks of wisdom and understanding. Amen. So we are talking about a free people to fly, if you will, in the air. We now mean in the spirit, not in the atmosphere. In the spirit of the Father. When you talk about atmosphere, the air, you're not talking about the climate, I mean the atmosphere up there. You're talking about the spirit. This is why you read in Ephesians 2, again, verse 2, talks about those who walk according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that walk in the children of disobedience. So air there is not talking about the air, you, I mean, the wind that is blowing, no, it's not talking about that, but it's talking about spirit. So when I talked about you being free to fly in the air, talking about walking in the spirit of the Father, where he dwells, just like the eagle wings or the eagle saints, we find in the book of Isaiah, which we read before, 30, I mean, 31, 40 verse 31. So here we are talking about a relationship of the husband and the wife. But he that is joined unto the Lord, the Bible says again, is one spirit. First Corinthians 6 verse 17. He's taken unto himself as a husband. That will become the wife unto him. Praise the living God. So friends, we are married to Christ of God as a bride. And this happened when he took us, married us, received unto himself on the day of Pentecost. This had nothing, I emphasize again, to do with the people being caught up to a geographical location above the sky but by through, I mean, through the rapture, we have believed it before. That have nothing to do with it. Hallelujah. Okay, so, let us make progress. Enoch says, where I am, there will be also. First of all, I remind you on this. When God spoke to Moses, or through Moses to children of Israel, during the course of his redemptive work, he says, you've seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagle wings, and brought you unto myself. I said that earlier on, which is Exodus 19, verse number 4. Now we know that God was not physically dwelling in the desert, among Sinai, where the children of Israel entered into. He only revealed himself to the ones he has called out of Egypt on the third month. But yet, he said, he brought the children of Israel to himself. To himself. The emphasis is to a person, not a location. Praise the Lord. And I want you to know that in context, God is a person, not a geographical location beyond the sky. Being brought to God, therefore, is the initiation of a relationship that can only be perfected by God alone. The bringing out was from Egypt, the realm of slavery and sin. It was to enable the children of Israel to serve God. Because while they were in Egypt, there was no possibility of their serving God. You know what that means. Pharaoh put them under complete bondage. That's why Colossians 1, again 12, 13, tells us we deliver from the power of darkness. Now, power corrupts, I mean, not just corrupt, it, it, it restrained unwilling people. People were not ready to be subject to a system. Power will keep them in bondage. But when you come to kingdom, we're talking about a relationship with free spirit. In other words, we walk in kingdom with submissive will to God. We walk in obedience to God. So, one restrained people, like tyrant, the other one is a free relationship. So, God brought us into a kingdom to have freedom to worship Him. But by the way, Egypt, they were like slaves under restraint. And seeing does the same thing to every child of God, I mean, everybody. Who has come to believe God. Praise the living God. So God is delivering us from all of those things. But for what purpose? That we might be able to serve Him. And here we are seeing that He's taking us to Himself as a bride. Even as He's the one responsible not only for taking us, but also to cleanse us from everything that defies, that corrupts. Praise the living God. Okay. Where is He today? But where I am, there will be also. So where is he that is taking us into, I mean, into now? Again, we we'll read this in John 14 verse 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. 
that where I am, there you might be also. Amen. So where was Jesus when he made this promise to the disciples? Remember, he made this promise to them when he was still alive, but stated that he was somewhere. So where was that? Also know that he came from the Father, like finding John 6 verse 28. He came from the Father, like he said, I came forth from the Father, and I came into the world. Again, I leave the world, and I go to the Father. John 6 and 28. You can also look at John 13 verse 3. Alright. So where was he at the moment of his promise? When he was speaking to, to the to the disciples in John 14. Remember everything took place, I mean took, yeah, took place in the upper room. When he was telling them, I'll go and prepare a place for you, and I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there may be also. Where was he? When he was making a promise. Not just the upper room, you listen to this. He was in relationship with the Father. And this relationship was not the one of a physical proximity, location based, as he was also on earth at that same moment when he made the promise. Now, we can get a complete answer from this when we look at the question that Philip asked him. The Bible says, and Philip that asked Jesus this question. And it's, I think it's good we just read this. All through from the book of um, John there, John 14 again, when he asked a question. So let's look at John 14, 8 to 11. And they'll be able to get a complete answer to that question. 8 to 11. And this is what it says. When the... Ab- Praise the Lord. Sorry, uh, I was in the book of Luke. Let me go to John. Praise the Lord. John 14... Um, we're looking at from verse number 8. And this is what it said. Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and he sufficed us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long with you, and yet have not that known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And I said thou then, show us the Father. Believe thou not that I am in the Father. Take note of that. And the Father is in me. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Amen? And look at verse 11. Believe me that I am the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Hallelujah. Can you see that? Where was he when he was speaking to the, to the children of Israel, I mean to the disciples? Scripture says he was in the Father. Praise the Lord. He was resident in the Father. Believe that I know that I am in the Father and the Father in me. The word that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. So, Jesus told us where he was. Where was he? He was in the Father. The Father is spirit. According to John chapter 4, verse 24. Right? He was in the Father. That means he was in the Spirit. Not again. The Father is a title, not a name. It means the source. When you say Father, you're talking about a source or origin or originator of certain acts or actions or behavior. As we can see in John chapter 8 verse 44, Jesus said this to the Pharisees, You are of your father the devil. Right? But we know that the devil is not a physical human being. But a spirit which worketh in men's hearts. Praise the living God. Like we find in Ephesians 2 verse number 2. So, Father speaks to us of a universal spirit from which all things originate and have their existence. Like we find in Romans chapter 11 and verse 36 and Acts chapter 17, 27, 28. Praise the Lord. So, from the statement of Jesus, Christ was only declaring his oneness with the Father. Consequently, Christ in the Father and the Father in Him, Christ, speaks of their oneness in purpose, thoughts, and actions, as clearly seen in John chapter 1, verse 1. And that verse reads from the Amplified In the beginning was the Word, Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God Himself. Amen? In the beginning was the Word, which is Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God Himself. Again, you can take time to look at. 
Isaiah chapter 9 verse number 6 You know what we're talking about there He's everlasting father He's the same person Alright Now the Greek word for world As used here In John chapter 1 verse 1 Is the word logos Now logos means One A thought or concept Logos It means a thought or concept Two It means the expression or utterance of that thought Amen so now, when you look at Colossians 1, 24, Ephesians 3, 11, Colossians 2, verse 2, you find that in Christ are embodied all the treasures of divine wisdom, the collective thought of God. Praise the Lord. Look at it again. In the beginning was the world, and the world was with God, and the world was God himself. Right? And that world is Logos. And Logos means what? A thought or concept. Two, the expression or utterance of that thought. So now Christ is the embodiment of the treasure of the divine wisdom, the collective thought of God. In other words, Christ is visibly, if you will, expressing the thought of the invisible God. So both of them are one. So from the above now we can see that the word Logos is an appropriate title for Christ. Because it follows that which has to do with the full embodiment of the treasure, the divine wisdom of the treasure, the collective thought of God, resident in a man called Jesus Christ. Praise the living God. Alright. Now Christ therefore is the thought and wisdom, the very person of God, and is the flesh, that is, he is in the, in the flesh, a man called Jesus. What I mean is, according to for instance, Hebrews chapter 1 verse number 3, from the Amplified Scripture says Is the sole expression Of the glory of God The light being The outreign Of the divine And he is the perfect imprint And very image of God nature Hebrews chapter 1 verse number 3 Did you get that? Who is Christ? The sole expression Of the glory of God The light being the outreign of the divine and he is the perfect imprint and the very image of God nature. By implication you see Christ is in God because he's revealing the unseen God. Hallelujah. Now, he is the image. Image is not here talking about a statue but talking about the invisible God manifested in the flesh. He was the only one that revealed the Father to be seen physically. Like you find in John chapter 1 verse number 18 and 1 Timothy 3 verse number 16. God was manifested in the flesh as a human being. So Christ being in the Father's bosom means that Christ is the nearest to the Father's house. Amen? That's what you find in John chapter 1 verse number 18. He is the nearest to the Father's heart. If you truly want to find out the thoughts of God, you can find them out in who? In Christ. He reveals the thoughts of God. He reveals the mind of God. He reveals the wisdom of God. That's what it means, being in the bosom of the Father. So you read that in John chapter 1 verse number 18 again. And that's what he says. And he says, No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared Him. He has revealed Him. He has made Him known to creation. Praise the living God. Are you following this? So, we see that Christ is not just in the Father, but in a position where He could reveal the invisible Father. Praise the Lord. So, where are we now? Remember what He said, I'll come and receive you to Myself. So, that where I am, there you may be also. And that's very, very important. That's very, very important and like you to follow this uh, in John 17 we're going to read a scripture there but it's very important uh, in line with what we see here John 17 and uh, we'll look at verse 24 John 17 verse 24 and this is what it says Father I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me for that lovest me before the foundation of the world. Then I want you to pick that. Father, I will that also whom thou has given me be with me where I am. 
that I may behold my glory which thou art given me because thou loved me from the foundation of the world. Now, it means for us to behold his glory, we must be where he is. So where are we now? The question. Alright. Now I would like us also to look at um, if you look at the Living Bible anyway, let's take a the Living Bible from the book of First uh, John. Let's look at First John, and that's an interesting thing. But probably I have to read it first from the King James, so that you can see how John fully explained this to us. The book of First John, chapter five, First John chapter five, and look at verse twenty. Very interesting passage. Sorry, 4 John chapter 5, verse number 20. Let's take it from there. And this is what it says. And we know that the Son of God is come, and has given us an understanding that we may know that He is true. And we are in Him that is true. Even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Now verse 21 says, Little children, keep yourself from idols. And this is very important. Why do you think John has to, you know, anchor that by saying, keep yourself from idols? So first of all, let's go back again and look at it from the Living Bible. 1 John chapter 5 verse 20. We know that Christ, God's Son, has come to help us understand and find the true God. And now we are in God because we are in Jesus Christ, His Son, who is the only true God and His eternal life. Amen. And then verse 21 is now saying, keep yourself from idol. You know the word? Think of anything outside of this, it becomes an idol. Think of God sitting somewhere up in the sky that you are going to go meet him up. You're building an idol. You're establishing an idol in your heart and in your belief. So John is saying, keep yourself from idol. Not just idol worship, but don't see God as a physical structure uh, being that you are supposedly going to be having a relationship with. That's what he's saying. Keep yourself from idol. Now, God has come to make us understand me, Jesus, who God really, really is. Praise the Lord. Okay. Now, did you see that? Now, we are in God. That's the emphasis. Why? Because we are in Jesus Christ, His Son, who is also in the Father. We are until we call I mean, we've been called. We've been called to become sons of God. We become one with Christ. And we are in Christ. And we are in God because we are in Christ. Because Christ is in God and God is in Christ. Hallelujah. Second Thessalonians 2 verse 14 made us understand where until we call you by our gospel to the glory and obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called. Unto the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ. First Corinthians verse number nine. And then first Peter five verse ten talks about unto eternal glory. Amen. And so he said, We I mean he's praying to the Father in John seventeen now that he might be where I am, that he might behold my glory. So we are called to the place of eternal glory, and Christ is come to reveal the Son to us, and we are in God because we are in Christ. Is that simple? Remember what he said. When he was saying all of this to the disciples in John chapter 14, then he hasn't gone to the cross. Then the Spirit has not been poured out. So you can see the connection. When he said, I go to the Father, and then I prepare a place for you, and I come to receive you unto myself, the preparation, once again, is simply, is going to the cross, pouring out the Holy Spirit, I mean, on the day of Pentecost. When he went, died, crucified, resurrected, on the 50th day, came down, as the Holy Spirit. That's just simple. All that he was talking about the preparation. So he got the preparation and what's the next thing that happened? He received us to himself. Now where are we? We are where he is. Where is he? He is in the Father. Praise the Lord. Amen. Again, Colossians 2 verse 10 from the Living Bible in First Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 12 talks about what worthy of God who has called you unto his kingdom and glory. Is that okay? That it might be all my glory. So it is that. Glory of the Son, glory of the Father. So First Thessalonians 2 verse 12 tells us that we walk worthy of God who has called us unto His kingdom and glory. And verse number... And again, then we've moved down to Colossians chapter 
chapter 2 verse, verse, verse 10 begin to say this you have everything when you have Christ and you are filled with God through your union with Christ he is the highest ruler with authority over every other Colossians 2 verse 10 living Bible and we are now seated together with Christ where in heavenly places Ephesians 2 verse number 7 so my friend that is where you are today look at it again uh, if you look at it from that same scripture we just read there therefore if any man be in Christ is what a new creature praise the Lord that is 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 if any man be in Christ is what is a new creature uh, I think I, I'd like to pick this up properly for you so that you can understand something here okay amen let's take it from verse 16 wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh yea though you have known Christ after the flesh yet now henceforth know we him no more amen then he says therefore if any man be in Christ is a new creature all things are passed away be all things are become new and all things of God hallelujah all things are of God listen to that who have reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and have given us the spirit of the ministry of reconciliation the verse 19 to with that God was in Christ this is what I want you to note God was inside Christ reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them and have given and committed unto us the word of reconciliation praise the Lord where was God he was in Christ amen remember in John 14 he is in God in 2nd Corinthians 5 God is in him can you see that praise the Lord and now you are in Christ according to that 1st John chapter 5 verse 20 is that okay you are in Christ so follow the principle you are in Christ Christ was in God was in Christ and you are in God 1st John chapter 5 verse 20 look at it again you are in Christ is that okay God was in Christ that means you are in the same place that God is and now you are in God According to first John chapter verse 20. So Christ was in the Father. John 14, we read that before. Verse 11. Therefore, his promise to the disciples and prayer to the Father have been answered. Because he prayed a simple prayer. And we need to understand what he prayed for. Praise the living God. Let's take it again from the book of false, I mean the book of John now. Let's go to John chapter 17. Again. Praise the Lord. John chapter 17. And then we'll be able to see again what he was promising us in that particular passage. John 17. And then we're going to read through up to... Um, let me quickly pick this again. John 17. Where am I now? Okay. Praise the Lord. John 17, let's look at verse 20. Look at that. John 17 and verse number 20. He was praying now for the disciple. This was his prayer before he left the earth. And he was praying for the disciple on this particular occasion. Not just the disciples alone, but everyone has come to believe him. Praise the Lord. So let's look at it. John 17 and then... Um, Oh, let me just pray. Let me take it from verse 19. And for their sake, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through that truth. And then verse 20, uh, verse 20 says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Through their word. Verse 21 says, That they may be one as thou Father art in me, and I in thee. That they also may be in us, that the world may believe that I have sent me. Can you see that? Praise the living God. This is very powerful. Neither pray I for these alone, that is his disciples then, but for them, you and I, 
also who shall believe on me through their words. Verse 21, John 17, that they all may be one as our Father art in me and are in thee, that they also may be one in us. Hallelujah. They also may be one in us. Can you see that? Praise the Lord. That the world may believe that I have sent me. Now I want you to see where you are right now. That's a key point. I will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. He is on the Father. Now he is praying, God, bring them to where I am. Just like I am in you and you are in me that they also may be in us. Do you see that? Praise the Lord. So where are we now? We are in the Father. In fact, we are all one in the same place. Hence, we can read from Acts 17 verse 20. For in him, which is the Father, we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Did you get that? For in who? In God. So listen to what he said. I go and prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be also when I receive you unto myself. Where is he? He's in the Father. Who is the Father? The Father is Spirit. Where are we? We live in the Father and move and have our being. So his prayer have been answered in John 17. Father, I pray not for all ladies, but so could also believe me through their world that they may be one, even that Father and me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that I have sent me. Praise the living God. And all this took place right from the day of Pentecost. That's when the whole thing initiated, got initiated. Your belief on this fact will deliver you from all fears and you will obtain your inheritance in Christ Jesus as we behold the Father's glory where He is. That is the thing you need to understand about this. It's not about when, when you're going to go, it's not about when you're going to be. You know, translate go up there in heaven and start having fellowship. If you can have fellowship with him now, you're missing out on what he came to do and what he's doing and actually building right now on the face of the earth. Friends, Jesus never promised to come take you anywhere but to unite himself with you that you might become a revealer of the Father here on earth. As he was in his earthly ministry, it was not a rapture. Praise the living God. It had nothing to do with a rapture. It just wanted you to come back to the Father. You lost relationship like, I mean, through Adam. Now he's bringing you back. Just like Israel lost relationship when they got to Egypt. He brought them out of Egypt. In Exodus 19, he made them one with him as a bride. And then he inaugurated what he called the royal priesthood, if you will, the kingdom of priests and kings. But then, principally, he became a husband to them on the Mount Sinai. Even so, in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, it was that the Lord be written in our heart. He became a husband to us. And so when Jesus said, I'll take you to myself, Paralambanu has to do it, I'm going to get you married to myself. And when he said that to the disciples in John 14, Everything got fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. So on the day of Pentecost, he married them to himself. He had the first crop of people that were supposed to be the bride, which has to do with his church, which is building, that the gate of hell cannot prevail against. Hallelujah. This is exactly what God is telling us from this particular passage. It has nothing, one more time I repeat, to do with a rapture, nothing to do with taking you up anywhere. It's not giving you a promise of a building tomorrow. Right now, you are his dwelling place. He wants to manifest himself through you. He wants to reveal himself through you. His glory, he wants to manifest through you. Don't trade away this reality through wrong belief and wrong concept. Even if you have believed it for years, it's about time you unlearn and relearn some of the things that you're supposed to know or that you ought to know through the spirit of the living God. It's a new day. It's a new season. It's a new moment. In this present hour that we are in, God is calling forth His people that we be prepared fully for the revelation of Himself for creation to see. I keep emphasizing, when God brought Israel from Egypt 
the whole nation of Saddam were so much afraid. Jericho shut their walls and all their gates. Remember the story. The Bible tells in the book of Song of Solomon, wizards are coming out of the wilderness. They were so much afraid of the church coming. But think about it today. Is the world really afraid of the church? Not at all. Because we're more of, in fact, the church is rather afraid of the world instead of the world being afraid of the church. But we need to reverse this. We need to get back to what God really has in mind. Ultimately, men were afraid of even John the Baptist. Herod was afraid of even John the Baptist. Think about that. That was like a church planted by God. But today, the reverse is the case. Why not to come forth to the place God has ultimately intended? Not just to reveal His glory, but to let the world know. For like we can read from Ephesians 1, 22 to 23, the Bible made us understand that the church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. And through the church, Christ rules and acts and speaks. This is the expression of His being. He wants to express his body through the church. He wants to express his mind thought through the church. Just like he was the word of God, even so, the church is becoming his word, spoken forth into creation. That through the church, he will reveal what was in his mind to creation. It's a new call. It's a new season. And it's a new day. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.